A man making the ultimate sacrifice so that others may live. This is at the heart of the gospel. In Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, a ransom for many. It's that gospel message that gives us hope and encouragement for each new day. This is Gospel Talk with Pastor Wes Bradenhoff. We're glad to have you with us this afternoon as we again consider the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. Join us, won't you, as we again spend some time reflecting on God's Word, the Bible. Here's our pastor and teacher, Wes Bradenhoff. In his book, Christless Christianity, Michael Horton identifies a major problem in North American Christianity. And maybe you've noticed this problem too. Much of it misses the boat on who Christ is and what he's done. And many times even ignores Jesus Christ completely. I mean, how often haven't we seen major figures in North American Christianity appearing on CNN, on Larry King and so on, and never even once mentioning Christ or the gospel? It's happened too often. And so, spurred on by his diagnosis, many are now calling for preaching that focuses on Jesus Christ, as he's revealed to us in the Bible, that focuses on the gospel. And of course, you know, this isn't the first time that such calls have been made, because that was one of the fundamental complaints of the Reformation about late medieval Christianity. They said, Jesus was mentioned. Sure, absolutely. They talked about him all the time. But he was no longer central. And he was no longer preached or believed in as he was revealed in the Bible. And so we hear Martin Luther saying things like, The truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. It is most necessary that we know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. According to Martin Luther, and he's right, we must never take the gospel for granted or just begin to assume it thinking things, well, we all know that. We don't have to talk about that all the time. We must never forget to constantly preach Christ crucified as the Savior of sinners. And this week, we're looking at an important passage, which again draws our attention to the gospel and shows us the riches and beauty of the gospel. And this passage is found in John 17, verse 3. In John 17, verse 3, the Lord Jesus is praying, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. These words were spoken during the last Passover of our Lord Jesus. These words take place in what we sometimes call the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. And it's called that high priestly prayer because here the Lord Jesus intercedes for his people, just as the high priest would have done in the Old Testament. And in this prayer, the Lord Jesus wants to glorify the Father. He wants to also teach his people. He wants to encourage them. He also wants to encourage us. And so when you come to verse 3 and he's, he says that he's going to explain what eternal life is, he doesn't have to say that for the benefit of the Father because the Father knew that. And the Son knew that too. And the Father knew that the Son knew that. Jesus gives these words for the benefit of everyone listening in, for the benefit of the disciples. And then by extension, through the gospel according to John, also for our benefit. He explains what eternal life is in order to teach us. And here again, Friends, we see the love and concern of the Lord Jesus for all of God's people, past, present, and future. 
Now, we're speaking here in John 17 about eternal life. And it's always important to look at the context, the way expressions are used in the immediate context in Scripture and also in the broader context. Eternal life has been mentioned before in John's Gospel. According to John 3.36, those who believe in the Son have eternal life. And those who don't believe have the opposite, which is having the wrath of God abide on them. In John 10.10, Christ said that he came so that believers could have life and have it to the full. Eternal life is the full life. And a couple of chapters earlier, the Lord Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. You know that well-known passage from John 14, 6. And from all this, we learn that because the opposite of so terrifying, eternal life is something to be desired, longed for. Eternal life, because it's the full life, is something that will far exceed your expectations. You think you know what it's going to be like. Well, you don't. It's going to blow your mind. Eternal life is something that can only be attained through Christ and through resting and trusting in him alone. Looking to him alone. And that word alone is so crucial. You talked about the Reformation a few moments ago. That was the key thing, alone. Trust in Christ alone and everything he has done for you and in your place. And here in John 17, 3, knowing or eternal life is connected with knowing God the Father and knowing God the Son. Eternal life consists of knowing God. Now, to begin with, we have to think about that word knowing. Right? Knowing can be a bare intellectual kind of thing, like knowing some facts, knowing that 2 plus 2 equals 4. And that kind of knowing can take place between people too. You could know some facts about me. You could know my full name, my birth date, and so on. But does that mean that you know me? You see, there's a difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone. You can know about someone without necessarily knowing them. But the reverse isn't true. You can't know someone unless you also know about them. To really know someone, you have to know about them. Now, as we look to the broader context of the Old Testament and the New Testament, this concept of knowing is something that's used in connection with relationships. It's always that way with regards to God. With regards to God, knowing is always about relationships. And you can see that in Jeremiah 9. In verse 3, God says that the people go from evil to evil and they do not know him. In verse 6, he says that through deceit, they refuse to know him. The people in Jeremiah's time knew about God. They knew facts about him, but they did not know him. They did not live with him in a relationship of fellowship and love and obedience. You see, knowing God is a matter of relationship. It's a matter of a covenant relationship. Through the covenant Covenant, the way God relates to his people in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Through the covenant, God relates to us and we trust him and we follow him, enjoying fellowship and communion with him. And in its most basic sense, that's what it means to know God. It means to stand in relation to him. Now, if we parse that out a little bit more, we can say three things about knowing God. And what these things that I'm going to mention here I've adapted them from an excellent book by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. Let me recommend that book to you. An 
excellent classic work, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. According to Packer, the Bible says three things about knowing God. First of all, it is a matter of personal dealing. It's a matter of personal dealing. In other words, we have to be consciously aware that knowing God involves knowing a person. And when we say person, of course, we don't mean a human being, but a personality, someone, someone with whom you can have a relationship. Knowing God is not a matter of knowing about some abstract concepts, but about knowing a person your creator who made you to know him. Christianity is about personal theism. You know, there are those out there who, who say they, they would believe in God, but they do not believe in a personal God. They believe in an impersonal God, some kind of impersonal spirit force. Christianity does not have that view of God. In Christianity, the Christian faith, God is a person. And so knowing God is a matter of personal dealing. Second, knowing God involves every aspect of our being. It involves the mind and the heart and the will. Okay, it involves our minds. Knowing God involves our minds. In other words, knowing God definitely means knowing about him. Absolutely. No one can claim to know God without also knowing what he is like, what he has done, what he wants, what and who he loves. In Jeremiah 9, God reveals how he is to be known. He is to be known as the one who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. So knowing God involves our minds, using our minds to engage the word of God to find out what he is like. Knowing God also involves our hearts. Knowing God means loving him, being taken with him, smitten with him, adoring him, obsessed with him. So it involves our hearts. And knowing God involves our wills. That means that obedience to God is part and parcel of knowing him. We know what he loves and what he wants. And because we love him and because we feel gratitude towards him, we endeavor to obey him. We want to please him. All three are equally important. Mind, heart, and will. All have to be engaged for us to be truly knowing God. So three things about knowing God we've looked at. It's a matter of personal dealing. It involves every aspect of our being, mind, heart, and will. And then third, and most importantly, knowing God is a matter of grace. If knowing God is about a covenantal relationship, and if the covenant revealed to us in Scripture is a covenant of grace, then this makes perfect sense. Because in the covenant... If you study your Bible and you look at the way the, the, the covenant is revealed there, God takes the initiative. He has the first word. God is the alpha and the omega. He is the first and the last in the covenant of grace. And so it is with knowing God. And Paul says this in, in Galatians 4, 9, 
And he clarifies what he means. He says, but now that you know God, and then he clarifies, or rather are known by God, he first loved us. Even before the world was created, God has come after us. And so to know God is a matter of undeserved favor, or better yet, a matter of receiving something which we have completely forfeited. Knowing God in having a covenant relationship with him, we receive the opposite of what we deserve. Now, friends, that's grace, isn't it? And when you think about it, that's awesome. And so that's what knowing God is about from scripture. Those three things, a matter of personal dealing, that it involves every aspect of our being, mind, heart, and will. And then third, and most importantly, knowing God is a matter of grace. That brings us to the end of our program today. I hope that you've enjoyed today's program. I hope that you've also learned from it. And if you do have any questions, feel free to drop me an email, gospeltalk at hotmail.com. Hope you'll join me again tomorrow. You've been listening to Gospel Talk with Pastor Wes Bradenhoff. Our prayer is that this broadcast has been a benefit to you, shining gospel light on your daily path. This broadcast comes to you courtesy of the Abbotsford Canadian Reformed Church. The Abbotsford Canadian Reformed Church warmly welcomes visitors each Sunday at 10 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. We're located at the corner of King and Mackenzie in Abbotsford. You can find more information about the Abbotsford Canadian Reformed Church at our website, www.abbotsfordchurch.com. Again, that website, www.abbotsfordchurch.com. You can also write for more information or to let us know if this program has encouraged you in some way. Email us at gospeltalk at hotmail.com. That's gospeltalk, all one word, at hotmail.com. You can also call us toll-free, 1-866-288-1087. Once again, that number, 1-866-288-1087. Thanks for listening today. This has been Gospel Talk with Pastor Wes Bradenhoff.